Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Priorcaster. I've got somebody here with me today, uh, Chad. And I've known Chad now probably going on at least 15 years, maybe 17 years-ish. Yeah, we've all gotten old. Yeah. <laughs> As an <laughs> online media person, uh, specifically more with the Overnightscape uh, and his uh, website, Titfos. I'm, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but... Uh, the incredible true facts of space. Uh, and so we're talking with Chad today on Priorcaster. How's it going, Chad? Hey, Bob, very good. I like to say titfos. You like to say titfos? I like to say titfos. It's, uh, it was born in a Walmart in Opelika, Alabama. I, uh, I had a job right after college at a cell phone store. And oh, boy. The, the cell phone store had a little kiosk inside the Walmart. And so I didn't work for Walmart and uh, there was nobody from the cell phone store ever around to watch me. So, you know, I just listened to the radio and uh, I would get books off the shelf and read them in my little hut in Walmart. And it was very fortunate for me that the, uh, the cell phone store manager hated having this little kiosk at Walmart. The uh, the corporate guys liked it. So mm -hmm. he wanted nothing to happen there. So usually I would tell people I didn't have any stock or they would need to go to the store. Um, so it was a really perfect job for a, a person that was hoping to do nothing. Uh, you know, so it, it was basically like serving time inside of a walmart you were talking billboard for the phone store and you just sent people over there huh? yeah i i usually sat with my head kind of slightly below the counter level so <laughs> i think most people thought we were just closed <laughs> that's funny and this yeah. will be back in the day of blackberries and and even maybe pre-blackberry i'm not sure yeah this would have been 1997 okay so that it was um nokia phones with the snake game the black and yeah. white nokia phones Can all candy bar same, phones candy bar same operating system yeah. yeah and it was um gosh i tell you a cell phone store is a horrible environment nobody comes to a cell phone store happy that's, that's one thing for sure <laughs> they're like the cable company of uh phone services so what happened was i was sitting there and i would watch people come in and at the time, I was really amused by seeing all these 40 and 50 year olds in wrestling shirts and, you know, monster truck shirts. And uh, I, I just thought the whole thing it was so absurd, you know, and I would write down observations about people. And I started thinking that these observations are the incredible true facts of space. Um <laughs> You know, with the idea that I was an alien that had arrived on Earth and I was observing and reporting back on humanity. <laughs> Were and, you a David uh, Bowie uh, type alien, you know, like the man who fell to Earth? <laughs> I I don't think that I was because I, I didn't look that good and I smelled like uh, the Walmart cafeteria or snack food place that was next door, <laughs> you know. It yeah. always smelled like stale hot dogs and cheap uh, nachos and yeah. pretzels. It was kind of like an artificial butter smell. 
wafted <laughs> over top of me. <laughs> the, the chat smells like artificial butter today. Oh boy, the, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, the, I when I left that job, I got my you know I was a radio TV film major from Auburn, and uh, and I'd had you know I worked many years at the student station. It was the reason that my undergrad program uh, went from the fall of 89 to the uh, spring of 98. So I was able to, I completed a four year degree in about 10 years there. So (laughs) (laughs) don't feel bad about that. There's a lot of people that take a while. It was, uh, I took a while myself. It was too (laughs) much fun to quit. And, uh, I was fully capable of getting away with it, so I did. <laughs> so, so you're you're at the phone store. You're you're you've created this in, this situation, and you're starting to write things things down for Titfos, right? Now, did you create any? I mean, obviously, you're obviously into writing. I know that, and and folks should know that you're you're quite the the wordsmith. But uh, did you do any any kind of uh, recording, or I mean, wh- when did you kind of dabble in other forms of media besides writing? Yeah, I I really w- you know one thing I wish I did was uh, keep more things that I recorded back then because yeah from mm, about ninety three to ninety eight you know I was I was on the radio at Weagle and I I did specialty shows as well as regular shifts and uh of course it was less easy at the time to record this sort of thing i guess you would have you could have kept a cassette running and turned it around every 30 minutes or every 45 minutes and and kept recording but uh but i just didn't you know and um so that's that's a lot of missed material that that might be interesting to hear Mm -hmm. as as far as radios i mean as far as podcast stuff i i remember just after that walmart position i got the job in radio for the first time and it was uh with an oldies station in montgomery alabama that uh that was sort of run by a lot of people that had been involved with a uh, a popular fm station called the great ape in jacksonville florida mm-hmm. uh the big bam hundred thousand watt AM station in Montgomery that that was the dominant station through the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, and early 80s of pop music. So the the Brennan family that owned it, they they were really uh, quite spectacular in bringing people in to like their Birmingham station. Um, I think that was WVOK. Mm-hmm. And then they would bring them down through Montgomery and then down through Tallahassee. So they could sort of arrange for people to take a leg of a tour um, to come through all of their stations. So, oh, okay. you know, the, the guys I got to work with, uh, some of them were legendary radio folks that were still in radio because it was fun and they didn't mm-hmm. want to retire. And uh, so there several of our personalities at the station had been previously very popular, uh, you know, in the pop music scene of the 60s and 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So we were doing good time oldies music. So these folks, you know, had lived that. And and it was a lot of fun doing that show. And we did our first website. And I think it was 
I can't remember the process of of getting that station online, but I don't think that really happened till about 2000 for mm -hmm. them. I remember putting the website up and having some downloadable real media files that you could right. listen to, but uh, <laughs> but we certainly were not uh, broadcasting yet on the internet do there. You, do you, can you remember what, uh, um, did you use any software to do the website or did you just do HTML stuff? Well, I had taught myself HTML while working at the Walmart cube, the, uh, the <laughs> cell phone cube. This I, cell phone I, thing has really kicked off your whole career, I think, this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I built the station's first website. You know, it was it was pretty goofy, but uh but it was early enough that you could be goofy and you could mm -hmm. have fun with it. I one I had a a game on one page of the site that that you it was basically a pre-made game, but you could swap out the graphics. So right. I had our van acting like the Space Invaders ship, and it was uh, shooting up, you know, and it was bringing down the uh, the rock and roll bad guy symbols, which were gotcha. basically just a, a furry looking drummer. It uh, <laughs> didn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, well, that was, it was animal did. from the uh, Muppets uh, looking kind of character. Yeah, with orange hair. It was pretty yeah. much animal from the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. So you, yeah. you get to you get you basically get tasked with this uh, early website and, and real media. I mean, that's what uh, I started out with uh, was doing everything in real media. And so it's really a lost, a totally lost um, piece of software. I mean, I, I don't even know that it still exists I, anymore, but uh, I wouldn't know how to play it. I, I'm, I'm hoping there's yeah. got to be a plug in somewhere. I saw that the, you could download your shows in real media. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, you man, can't what really would I play do them that? in real media anymore, but there is a converter that I found that you can, you can convert them from real media. So, yeah. Do you remember that first music program? Oh boy. It had llamas in it. It it was um, um it was it wasn't Winamp, was it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it was maybe Winamp, but yeah. That's why am I thinking one. of long? I'm thinking that, that basically they they took something from Jeff Minter, the game programmer that mm -hmm. did so many games for the uh, like C64 and mm -hmm. Atari 8-bit, where he would take like Defender, but make it a lot more psychedelic. Oh, and, and, okay. and so one of his Atari programs that I'd been involved with, you know, is like an Atari user group user down in Mobile was Tripatron. And Tripatron uh, was activated by music. So you would oh, need a totally. microphone and yeah. it would go to the music. And uh, yes. Yeah, that's Winamp, I think, because Winamp did do. I mean, I think there was a default one whenever you played anything through it that would give you, you know, kind of crazy looking stuff. And then it, that grew into to where you'd have, you know, plugins that you could do to do different uh, visualizations with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That I really I really thought that was going to be the future. I um, <laughs> I, I had a lot of ideas about that in a, a radio TV film paper in 98. I my proposal for a MTV type station was having multiple stations and each person would be their own host. Mm -hmm. And that person would build a block 
of two or three hours of Winamp style visualizations, mm -hmm. but mixed in with photographs and or video footage of the band that you were playing at any certain time oh, okay. or just images that went along with the mood. Right. And, and so the idea is that the DJ would, would become, uh, you know, this term of the day, multimedia artist. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, no, that's uh, and doing, doing all the infotainment for the masses. And, uh, and I, I still think it'd be a great idea. It's something that, that I've tried to kind of capture in some of my videos. You might notice mm -hmm. I, I like yeah. to do a lot of audio reactive mm -hmm. and kind of dense multi-layered mixes of, of imagery that, you know, that in my mind create a, a type of program that you can enjoy. With, with, with all the talk about the AI and so forth and chat, uh, was it chat GPT or whatever it's called right now? I'm surprised yeah. that, that something doesn't come out of that where it um, generate, it could generate on the fly by pulling from the internet all of this material um and then it could interpret the the words of the song or whatever uh, the mood of the song and then put that together that i mean that sounds like it would be ripe right now for it, exploitation <laughs> it it does it does and, and i i wonder how long the window of uh, enjoying that would be because we i don't know i don't know if you listened on the onsug we were talking a week or so ago on the uh, last exit ramp about how how quickly everyone got really tired of the uh, computer generated images you know you would just right. put a prompt oh, in yeah. would generate mm -hmm. an image and yeah. and after a certain point they all look the same but right i do think it's early days in that i think as it continues to get better there'll still be a lot of fun in that but once everybody knows that it's just automatic i i think it'll lose right. a lot of the the luster you know i i think it's blown our attention spans to oblivion to the point <laughs> that that's true and I, yeah it, an idea that that i had in 98 right this idea of this dj creating these music and mm. images to go along with the music i don't think anyone would watch it now because it's yeah. just it's too narrow and uh I just don't know okay. if people are, are interested in it. Yeah. I, I although they, although they, the keep telling, uh, they keep telling everybody that, that basically narrow casting is where it's at. So the more narrow yeah. your niche, the more <laughs> you're likely to, to get um, traction with it, to have more people. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't buy um, all of the, the chatter about it and so forth, but it is an interesting thought that um, that could be uh you know, that could it's be something, true. but I, I think like, you know, a lot of times it's the person, you mm -hmm. know, you'll, you'll meet a certain person and uh, like, I've been watching a lot of Russell Brand okay, recently yeah. and uh, uh -huh. I, I really uh, enjoy him and I enjoy him as a person. So mm -hmm. I think that even if someone else or if a computer had written it, it it's really the personality that I'm relating to. Yeah. So you know that maybe that won't matter to the uh the future kids but see i am kind of worried about them i i don't uh <laughs> i don't think they've i don't think that they've got it all there but uh yeah you know it'll work out i suppose nature I has guess. a way
I guess. Yeah. I, I think it is interesting though, with all the um, AI stuff that ha you're right. It has a very short lifespan. It seems to burn up really quick. Um, and um, we'll see what it, it progresses into, but I think though um, I think some of these other things did. So for instance, if we go back to the podcast aspect of things, whenever podcasting came out, it, it really burned up pretty quick within a couple of years between 2004 and like say 2007 that was kind of like this oh podcasting it's something and then it was nothing and now all of a sudden here we are in 2023 uh and it's something again yeah and, and, it's, and, definitely, and it's and it, it's it really something. is um it really is mainstream and i the only reason i say that is because you know uh people who Old, people who are older than me and you uh, mm -hmm. know the term now. And so it's gotten right. that far into culture to where it's not, you know, pod, what are you talking about? You know, it's it, 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 it's like saying magazine. Uh, Isn't now. it great that it's one of those words where the uh, the root of it ceased to be a thing? You know, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> right, it, beca exactly. it became such a huge thing, the pod. That, yeah. that you could reference a cast along with it and people would get the idea. Right. And yet now it's been gone for so long and podcasting has. has come back. Right. I, I, well, there's I really no iPod. There's no people iPod. Are like, for, yeah. Why do they call it a podcast? You know, yeah. do you ever stop to think about why they call it a podcast? Exactly. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a, another example of that um, in, in life here that people would, well, you know, people, um, that's more of a brand name. This would be a generic that, that uh, I'm trying to think of a good one though, but yeah, you're right. The iPod itself has not been around for a good 10 years or more. I don't think they sell <laughs> iPads. Strange. They don't sell yeah. iPods anymore individually. You have to get the phone basically. Yeah. Um, and so I know there's the little, I mean, there, there's not even really Sansa doesn't even do anything anymore with it. So you have to. I was pretty impressed. With, I'm pretty impressed by the Sony Walkman that mm. was just released. It's it's like yeah. several hundred dollars, but it's just a yeah. a beautiful little piece of uh, of technology. What what else did I do? But let's see. With now, my first website was Strange Alice. Uh, dot com and I don't know if I don't know if you can find anything on the way back I, machine, but give it I a try. It's Strange um, Alice. Yes, Strange Alice. I think the the greatest accomplishment to that was when I got it linked up to the live three sixty five station ah. that I had created called Strange Alice. But mm -hmm. sometime the last time I looked at it on the Wayback Machine, it seemed like it had something from the Cool 104 uh, web station oh, really? I had put together. So I don't know if somehow I got my files crossed at some point when I last used it or. Uh, was but, was the did you have the URL Strange Alice? It was. It was strangealice.com. OK. I mean, yeah. that's a good. How did you come up with that? That's a good name. It was my dream name of a radio station the uh, the the idea was is it sort of referenced alice in wonderland uh -huh. um uh, strange alice it just spoke to me you know it just said it said something in branding that to me kind of represented you know what i would want the station to be 
which was odd among other things, uh-huh. uh, but all you know, but also sort of a good dream-like, romantic, in the sense of uh, romantic poets, you know, so, I guess sort of uh, gothic in a way, you know, having to do with with love and loss and death and. Um, that is you find anything on there? No, I found a. Uh, um... Oh, geo, well, not geo cities, but one of those. I just clicked off of it, so I've lost it. But I found oh, a, yeah. one of those uh, angel fire or something the like that. Water sites that move yeah. in and take over. <laughs> yeah, and I found one that's uh, that looks like it's Chinese or uh, Korean or something under strainedjalous.com. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I, I still think it would be a, a great radio station. That. It, at the time, the the coolest radio station I'd heard of was the Mountain, mm-hmm. and I I loved the idea of a, of a station calling itself the Mountain, because, you know, obviously it's a sense of place. So right when yeah. you know when a person's listening to the radio, they're kind of in cyberspace with you. You know, you're you're in the same space they are, even though you're separated by time and space. Um, yeah, it looks like but, the the, the um, Chinese have taken over Strange Alice in the in the in the 20 teens. I knew it would be a success. You know, I just <laughs> needed the right management. <laughs> it's a good name, though. It's a fantastic name because it could be yeah, it could be more thanks. than this. That my my station though. Do you remember Live 365 in the early oh, days? Oh yeah, of- oh yeah, definitely. It was sort of like anybody can create an online radio station. Right. You, you just upload your your MP3 files and I remember uh, the guy go live 365. I think that's yes. So I tried that. You know, I I don't think it ever had more than a listener or two. Right. No, it was something fun to do though. <laughs> it was fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. But so, but these are all things that have that were. Uh, again, pre we when we first we started, you're like, I don't know why you want to talk to me, Bob, about this. But these are all pre-podcasting things that you're talking about. Mm. It's all stuff that's happened pre 2004, and that's kind of what we're what we want to look into is to to find these kind of lost little gems um, because yeah. they are they're just not. Um, you, I, I had, uh, uh, I talked to James O'Brien, who was a, a Vancouver, uh, uh, person who had done a streaming station back in 99 through and on through. And I was talking to him about how hard it is to find people who were doing things back then. Um, just because it's just kind of gone and they've moved on to other things with their lives and so forth. And they're not quite uh as invested as they were when they were younger and again these are all people who were very young like yourself and myself at that time <laughs> who yeah. who had this interest and we were you know pursuing it um but a lot of people just like uh you know pod fading became a word about a, a, a not even probably six months into <laughs> podcasting right um and um and it, the same thing has happened where people just aren't not um you know it, it they're just not there's no interest there they've just moved on so it's people um, have to recognize how difficult it is to have uh significant others and 
<laughs> you know, do a, a hobby like this or anything else. It's uh, right. It's it's really hard on a week by week basis to, you know, to carve out time and even, mm-hmm. you know, making myself like I, I really want to do the overnight scape every mm-hmm. week. But uh, but it's it gets hard. It really does get hard to find the time. Now, I know just because we've known each other for a while, I know that you had worked at uh, 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 Funimation. And did you, that was an early mm-hmm. job for you. And so mm-hmm. like the radio yeah. station, what what were you involved in there um, as far as the, the technology of things goes? Well, it was, it was related people, the uh, Bob uh, Brennan. Funimation mm-hmm. Productions was started by Gen Fukunaga. And he married a lady named Cindy Brennan. Cindy Brennan was Bob Brennan's sister. Mm-hmm. Bob Brennan's father started the the big rock station in Birmingham, Montgomery, and Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. the The one in Jacksonville, Florida, is is really well known because you'll hear sometimes in movies from the era, you'll hear this great ape call, and it's an ape doing the big call and beating his chest. Right. Um, and that was the kind of the, the audio signature of the great ape. And one thing they did at all of their stations was they called it the rock and roll country club. So mm-hmm. they would invite listeners to drive up to the large grass field in front of the stations and hang out while they listened to the music. And oh, okay. the, the DJs had like a glass booth looking over the swimming pool and the swimming pool was used to cool the transmitter that they had built themselves underneath oh okay and in fact the uh the big bam in montgomery was a true hundred thousand watt am station and uh one of the three things that the brennan family knew how to do was they could uh there was a a dam that they could undam and by saturating the field Mm -hmm. it would change the effective radiated power when the fcc came to measure um they they because everything they had, you had to pay was, on how 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 far you were tra- how much you were transmitting how far you were transmitting right and well and i well i think mostly they wanted you not to step on other people's toes so so they right. limited to you you know particularly right. at nighttime you would have to really power down because the signal would go so much further right but uh but yeah the big bam was famous for being able to be picked up in florida at nighttime people in uh <laughs> People down on Fort Walton Beach would be listening to it. It was an amazing, you know, just carried now hours said, and hours. You said something there that, that kind of stirred a memory for me on radio stations in general. You said they had the big grass lawn in front of the station. Now, as that's not so much the case anymore, but when I was young, uh, the radio station in, in Decatur, Illinois, where I grew up, had a huge amount of land around it. And, and, I always wondered, I'm like, why do they have so much land around the station? You would because it's not utilized, but I think there was a reason behind it. Do you have any clue? I mean <laughs> I you know, I can think for the tower itself, you would at least yeah. have to have a safety zone. So if it fell in any direction, oh, okay. I guess you that know, makes maybe sense. nothing would happen. Yeah. Um I, I know for the Brennans, it was really all about making it the rock and roll country club experience. Oh, okay, and, uh, so they wanted to have the look of it too. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so the the even people at home would be thinking about the cool kids in their car, you know, listening at the station. Mm-hmm. So it it really amplified that uh, 
sense of place that they held for that generation that grew up around there. Um, and, but and that was an era of, of car culture as well. So, you know, we're kind of out of car culture at this point. But back yeah, then, we, like 60s through the 80s was very much a car culture. Yeah, we loved our cars. My gosh, man, I remember yeah. 16, you know, that was a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but but uh, so the Brennan. So, so anyway, the Fukunagas, the, the Funimation, they they had started Funimation Productions incorporated and i think by 95 or so it went bankrupt and and the thing was is that gen was an american whose father was a japanese professor at purdue of uh basically he was he was really instrumental in developing uh some of the theories in radar but so he taught at purdue and gen grew up with his father being a professor gen grew up american didn't even speak japanese um, but he had an uncle at Toye Animation in Japan, mm -hmm. and and his uncle was able to hook him up with the North American rights to Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball GT. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it really didn't work until Bob got it on Cartoon Network um, and started running the marketing office for it out of the old radio station in Montgomery. So my time at the radio kind of coincided was spending time over there uh my wife laura got her first job working for bob as sort of the, the you know like marketing assistant licensing mm -hmm. assistant yeah and um she ended up staying at funimation for over 20 years and uh when she left she was licensing director and um and laura still does a lot of licensing for the anime industry just with contract work now mm -hmm. so it's it's great for her she can work from home but uh <laughs> I, I really don't think there's probably many, there's probably, there couldn't be more than three or four people in the whole world that would have as much anime licensing experience uh, as Laura does. Yeah, because we're talking, it yeah. started so long ago. Yeah, that's interesting. I know uh, uh, one thing, I think it was when I was talking to James O'Brien, there's um, a huge anime thing in, in Iowa City, Iowa manga mm -hmm. and everything and, and of all the places <laughs> that you would think that that would be uh did, and they, did they he sell, mention right they sell did, did he mention yeah. the store the right stuff in uh, Ames, iowa is that what it was so sean i think it, i think that's it yeah yeah okay yeah see i knew yeah. sean i when um i remember when sean built this big facility in 2004 2003 yeah. and uh he had been running the right stuff international and they started out by selling expensive telescopes it was an astronomy hobby and okay. uh somewhere along there he had a childhood love of anime and i know that at that time he had all of the 16 millimeter masters of astro boy um like all the you know like all the early astro boy stuff mm -hmm. that had been shown on american television but he had acquired the rights to those, and he was releasing those on VHS himself, as well okay. as running this anime manga store, uh, The Right Stuff. They, they recently were acquired by Crunchyroll. Um, okay. Oh, interesting. So so Sony bought Funimation a couple years ago for a mm -hmm. billion dollars. And then... Good for them. So, Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. Yeah, again, that ended up selling it a couple times. He he sold it first to a 
Minnesota company. And I, I, I worked through that transition and, and those yeah. guys, they realized what a mistake they had made buying it. And uh, they sold it back <laughs> to him for like 20% of what they paid for it. And oh my! then he made another fortune and sold it for even more money to Sony. Uh, oh wow. But, but he gave me a great opportunity because, you know, when I came in there, of course, I liked anime from uh, mm-hmm. the little bit of it I'd seen in college, you know, and it was back then it was, you would order like an $80 tape or you'd buy a, a VHS tape for like mm-hmm. 50 bucks at a convention and it would have six hours of content on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, this would just be people had, you know, either dubbed it themselves or uh, usually subtitled it themselves. So, so anyway, I, I was really thrilled to be a part of this and, my first job was to start a toy company. And so I, I started, you know, I hired some sculptors and made action figures. And uh, it was a company called If Labs. Mm-hmm. It was a, a joint production between Funimation and Irwin Toy Canada, who was right. still owned by the Irwin brothers, which was fantastic because they were all really cool <laughs> people. Yeah. And uh, in, in fact, when when I was doing the first line of If Labs figures, I didn't know who to hire for a sculptor. And Todd McFarlane was kind enough at uh, at a toy fair. I think it was Toy Fair 2000. Um, he basically told me one of his sculptors that he used all the time. He said, yeah, give Igor Fernandez at Infinite Minds a call, you know, mm-hmm. he, or Toxic Mom, Lisa, I think Lisa Cordero, Toxic Mom in California. Um, so between the two of them, they did most of the Dragon Ball sculpts that were part oh, of the wow. If Labs lineup. And, and they did the Dragon Ball Z um, action figures, which, which I think because I was real early there, I, I was able to sort of twist Gen's arm, um, mm-hmm. around 2004, I decided I'd rather be a director than a, mm-hmm. uh, than a marketing guy. Cause at that time I'd moved to the home video department. And, um, my thing was, is I would call all these independently owned comic book shops Mm-hmm. And tell them that, hey, I was fun, from Funimation and I wanted to set them up with a direct account. And usually they didn't believe me. That was usually, that was usually <laughs> the hardest part. They're like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> because I, th- I think already at the time they kind of imagined that this would be a big successful company and wouldn't have some dummy like me calling them, you know. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they were probably thinking, why would a company like that want to go direct with us? But right. But the problem is, is that we went through Diamond Comics distribution and for all the mom and pop and hobby shops, which there were over 10,000 of them in the U.S. at the time, they got served anime as an afterthought. And Mm. and so they didn't really get a good discount on it. And once Walmart started selling it, you know, a lot of the comic book shops were just thinking, well, this isn't for me. There's no money in it. Um, Right. So. So I started that and I really just phone calls and at conventions, just walking around meeting people. And, and I would just say, Hey, I'll give you 55% off the cost of MSRP. You know, you can, mm-hmm. you can sell it for a similar price to what Walmart sells it for. Yeah. And, and this was possible because a, uh, a fully manufactured VHS in shrink wrap with the security tag and everything was around a dollar 47. Yeah you know, was, was our cost. And so you could put like $5 worth of rights payments to Japan in there. You're still mm-hmm. only up to six bucks. Right. You know? yeah. And these things were selling for 20 something dollars at the time for a VHS tape. So, 
Yeah, and, and I'm sure you did quantity. And so, yeah, that brings the price way, way down for all that kind of stuff. So the DVDs yeah. were even better. They were yeah. they were around 45 cents for a complete yeah. package. I think people, if they're not involved in these uh, markets or situations, they don't realize all. And now we don't have it at all, obviously, with streaming and so forth. But all of that uh you know hard media what what would you use the what word would you use to call it so real i guess you know, it's physical media physical media yeah i was trying to think of the word uh yeah. really didn't cost much of anything and and i remember over the years the vhs tapes got uh worse and worse quality um to where they wouldn't even have uh springs on the hinge was a, a piece of plastic that was crinkled the spring right. hinge on the, <laughs> on the VHS tape as opposed to an actual mm -hmm. spring uh, that was in there. And they were just more and more um, flimsy. I don't know. That's all they, I could no, say. they were. They were crap. And people, yeah. at first, people were putting full color inserts in and yeah. that kind of dwindled down to you would even just have a single sided uh, right. you know, picture in the front and nothing on the inside. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had the pleasure, I guess, of working in it when I was young, uh, you know, high school, just out of high school age to in the video rental business. And, uh, uh, and so I remember you talking about that. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I the funny thing, I had did this experiment. I'm sorry, as a quick aside, I did this experiment mm -hmm. because people would bring it, you know, they'd melt the uh, VHS tapes in their wind uh, in the on the dashboard. And I go, I just can't, this is so hard to believe, you know, that this would do it. So I took uh, VHS uh, tapes and I threw them all over my car and drove around for like for six months with them. Never melted <laughs> one of them. Just, just to see, because I worked, you know, and I'm like, it was an interesting little, uh, I, was, it, I wasn't responsible for anything. I was just a clerk. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, this is so, but then I also got to see that, uh, path of degradation where mm -hmm. it went, went went from being um a piece of media that was you know uh solid and you I mean, you could stand on the darn things and they wouldn't buckle to to finally they they started coming out with these things that would just fall apart in your hands um yeah i remember it, in the early days the like the cost of a vhs movie would be like 89 dollars like, yeah exactly like, yeah like you get your copy of Officer and a Gentleman and be eighty nine dollars, right. and uh, yeah. and and I guess it was it it was really built to sell to the fledgling rental industry that there just weren't mm -hmm. many people out there, right? And uh, but yeah, once once they started going direct to the consumer, man, those uh, those prices started really dropping on fell that off stuff. The, yeah, fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, I was so, unfortunately uh, in the position to have the people uh, whenever they messed up a tape i'd tell them it was 89 dollars, or even sometimes 125 dollars <laughs> to replace and they oh. were not happy so yeah they, and that was always the whole trying scene. to scam them <laughs> i'm like this is what exactly. it costs i'm sorry but let's uh yeah. sorry we got off track a little bit but let's come back so when did you yeah. uh start doing stuff on overnight scape uh, you'd have chad cast and you you do the mm -hmm. central and, and exit ramp and but when did all that start and why did it start for you? I think in two, 2007, when 
I left Funimation, I was kind of lost and I was just like out in Dallas and, you know, I don't know anybody out there. So I was driving just to get out of the house, you know, when I didn't have a job or I was just doing contract work, I would just go on these long car drives and I discovered Frank show and he was really a great companion for that. You know, it was just, uh, it's the perfect program for just putting on and driving around for a few hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, it really is. I think if you were a truck driver, I, I think, uh, I think that's a perfect audience for uh, all the OnSug material would be time traveling mm-hmm. truck drivers uh, somewhat <laughs> in the future. They haven't been born yet, but right. Right. Yeah. These people, these people who have to ride, even though they don't actually get to drive the truck, it's going to be the next phase of uh, trucking where it'll be an automated truck, but they throw somebody in it to unload cargo and uh, make sure it doesn't run into somebody. Well, there there will be the uh, there will be the human laws, you know, it, uh, along with the universal basic income will be these little jobs we all have to do. Like, right. uh, I, you know, if nothing else we could all walk down the street and check on our neighbors, there you, you go. know? There and, you go. and, and so maybe there's an old guy in the neighborhood that'd be really nice if you'd cut his yard once a week. So I, I think go. we'll, I think we'll find lots of stuff for people to do. Oh yeah. Um, definitely. You know, when I, I, I didn't mention, I worked at Disney world for a while when I went, I worked on the monorail system, but uh, there used to be a thing that if you were, if you were, Oh, if you were switching the tracks, someone would ride what they call deadhead in the back mm-hmm. car, and the monorail would go down past the switch and then would reverse directions and start driving in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that system at the time, I, I'm assuming it still is, but in like 93 when I worked there, uh, it was still fully under the control of the driver. The, oh, uh, okay. the tower could cut power if you ran um what was called a mapo they had a moving brake light system that's used mm-hmm. in the railroad industry as well so i think doc slees in the uk would be real interested to know that uh <laughs> uh you know that, that the monorail had a mapo system mm-hmm. but but all the towers were numbered so as you were if you were driving around like from the ttc to the kingdom you might have monorail central might say hey i need you to stop at pylon 147 and and as you were driving, your little indicator on the dash would go from green to yellow. And as you got closer, it would go to red. Mm-hmm. And and that was a, a moving brake light that meant you had to stop there, you know, and mm-hmm. you'd be like monorail blue, monorail central, uh, you know, asking permission to clear into the kingdom. And it was <laughs> it was just all this really great. Uh, I guess that's radio chatter of a different kind. But I, I wish yeah. that I, I wish I would recorded that stuff. Man, just the <laughs> just the boring conversations to uh, to to Monorail Central. It was that's interesting though. That was a lot of fun. I mean, there. How many people are going to say I drove with a, a monorail anywhere, let alone in the world? There's not that many. When I talk about it, it's kind of like fascinating me. I'm thinking, man, I, I got a I got a chance to do a lot of neat things while I was alive. I, just <laughs> just. Just being a movie theater usher would have been enough, you know. I, I was yeah. an usher and a projectionist, and uh, man, that's a that's a cool job putting together the movies and showing them, and just that feeling. I, I used to be so proud sometimes with my flashlight and my mm-hmm. usher outfit. I'd walk in the back of 
say platoon you know came out when mm. i was 16 that was one of the first movies and and you just have a packed house and everybody there is like they arrived because these were this would have been 1986 you know the vietnam war had only ended 12 years prior Right. So there were an awful lot of uh, vets and people that were truly touched by it that, you know, were really serious about uh, this movie. And, and I just I just loved feeling the weight of that atmosphere. And mm-hmm. and, and if a show was really entertaining the audience, just that um, feeling of being a part of it, of a part of, you know, putting it on. And uh, I, I guess I always felt like since I was an usher in this theatrical enterprise, I was like on stage too. So if I went to check the temperature, right, I'd try to be really official with how I walked up to it. <laughs> you know, and I'd, I'd try to scan the audience and, and look for uh, feet on top of seats or, uh, yeah. or, or people eating whole chickens, you know, out of brown paper bags. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> the picnic at the movies. Yes. You always wonder cleaning up a movie theater you'd come across and you'd, you know, you'd be walking down the aisle and okay, you found a quarter, you know, you found a dollar here. That's good. That's all extra money. But then you'd turn around and you'd see like a whole watermelon. <laughs> like, how, how the how the hell did they get that in here? Yeah, and how are they cutting in. it up? How are they cutting it up and eating it in the movie theater? It was crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Movie theater, uh, um, what do you want to call it? Smuggled movie theater food is a whole category unto itself. Uh, the movie know, theater taught that. me a really good lesson. And and that that is like the movie theater job was the coolest job in the world. But it came with a price. Mm-hmm. Friday night, Saturday night, holidays, you were absolutely working, you know, mm-hmm. that. And I, I guess you're you're dressing up essentially to tear tickets and pick up trash. So, uh, you know, that's right. <laughs> true, but you're elevated yet lowered at the same time. <laughs> but that, that did something to the job that was really positive. It it made it, I think, that you could get away with near everything if if you showed up, you know, and, and stayed there. Um, and we just had tremendous fun working at, at the theater. You know, I, I think I've covered some of that and some of my some of my early uh, overnight scape underground yeah. shows were just playing pranks on new employees hiding behind the curtains in a dark theater and you know <laughs> giving them an absolute heart attack when they went to change the air conditioning um <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun so how did you get from listening to frank while you were driving uh, to actually participating <laughs> right so so luckily i wasn't unemployed too long i I went back to the entertainment industry at that time with Grapevine Star Entertainment, and um, I continued to listen to Frank there. I, I worked from home a lot also, and so that was a good time to listen to Frank. Um, the weird thing about Frank and his show is that Frank is a couple years older than me and a couple years younger than my older brother. Mm-hmm. So his view on everything in the world is so familiar to me mm-hmm. and and i think pretty much all of us on the overnight scape underground kind of are the same kind of night people or 
odd, unusual. You know, if, if we were in a fraternity, it would be the universal right. order of odd fellows. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the odd fellows. Yeah. That's all that's you know, a whole rabbit hole in and of itself. Yes. <laughs> nerdy, nerdy before it was cool, you know, that mm -hmm. uh, all that stuff. And um so I was just always would find he'd be talking about things that either were on the tip of my mind or he would say something during one of his shows that pretty much let me know that we had read some of the same websites that week. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, do you remember, you know, going to Metafilter and mm -hmm. uh, what, yeah. FARC? What were some Fark. of the other? Yeah. Really? Oh, gosh. So, so yeah, there was just all of these um, coincidences with listening to Frank's show. And that, that really kind of um, spurred me to listen more. And, and then once I, took that job at the uh, Grapevine Star. We were near the Bishop Arts District in Dallas, mm -hmm. and there was a big store there that um, sold nothing but every type of cola in the world, like mm -hmm. in glass bottles. And so I did a live report from that location in, I mm -hmm. think, 2010 and sent it mm -hmm. in to Frank, yeah. um, and he put it on the show. And, and after that, I think I had a, a conversation with him and some point after that, I traveled up to New Jersey for business and, you know, I stopped to see him. And so next thing you know, man, seven, 16 years, whatever it's been. Since. <laughs> what, I started listening to Frank in 2007. So, okay. What is that? 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Yeah. And I remember when you yeah. went to visit, I remember listening to that show. Uh, it, it, I don't know why That's it struck so cool. me as funny because you're, you're, um, are so polite and he started recording i think right out of the gate i think you showed up at his apartment or whatever and then <laughs> yeah. he's like oh you want to say hi to denise and you're like oh hi denise it's so nice to meet you <laughs> and it was just kind of like it was like this weird fly on the wall um situation and i'm like i'm like you know this is really interesting yet i feel like i shouldn't be here oh <laughs> you know what i mean yeah because it was it was it was there wasn't anything bad about it. It just was so, um, I don't know. It was so personal. Yeah. Because it was like the first time do. you'd ever met in person and here you were recording it. And, you know, it's like you're in his house and, you know, it's one of those <laughs> kind, of, kind of things that was like, well, that's really interesting. So, but uh, I, I, it sticks with me for some reason. And um, it really, it really is. It's, it, it's always interesting to meet someone that you, um, you know, that you know or or have listened to as you know as a as a customer, you know, so to speak. It's like right, yeah. That is a weird. Just, that that is actually part. I wonder, just on that um, note, how yeah. that is going to be in the future? Because so we have so many people creating so much stuff, right? That mm -hmm. you, whenever you create things, like even this here, we've, we've talked about you worked at Disney World and Funimation and so forth, that people think they know you, although they've never, ever met you. And whenever, right. if they ever do meet you, how do you react like that? So I think there is a certain, uh, and I've had this experience personally, and I don't know if you have or not, but where you meet somebody and, you know, because I tell stories every week and have been doing that for a long time and they'll know a story. And I've forgotten that story. 
<laughs> That's really and, and then they talked to me. Yeah. <laughs> they talked to me about I'm like, really? I thought I said that. Really? That's so interesting. And and yes. it's but it's a weird connection that is beyond uh beyond the norm, right? It's it's a normal mm-hmm. interaction that is totally out of context because you didn't know they were listening. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know nothing about them, but they know this thing right. about you that's right. since fallen out of your head. And, and yet upon talking about it, you realize that, wait a second, yeah, that did happen. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I, it, it is, it's, it's a crazy thing. Yeah, it really is nuts. Um, I don't know if you've, had, if you've encountered that, but that is, is an interesting, and that's where, you know, that's where that story with you meeting Frank and everything felt so weird because... You know, I'm having that realization that here is a, you know, a moment that would be lost uh, to the the ether had he not been recorded, recording it. And you weren't, it wasn't a show like, you know, hello, Mr. McGillicuddy, I'm here to fix your furnace. You know, Mm -hmm. this was real interaction and it it was happening in real time and you were both being a genuine people and Mm -hmm. it, it, that so much of that happens but gets lost um but, but for some reason i thought it was funny i don't know i think just because you were um because i you always ex- in these kind of exchanges you always expect something to happen but nothing not that nothing happened but nothing out of the ordinary happened you know mm. whenever you watch tv shows or something that interaction evolves into you know you with a turkey on your head or something and uh you know i just stopped by and all of a sudden i've got a turkey on my head but it was a completely normal kind of thing um but also you're such a polite person uh i i it's always struck me uh uh, as funny in that situation not because you shouldn't be a polite person (laughs) but because you were so polite and uh i'm like gosh that chat is a really polite guy you know because i probably would have been like Hey Frank, what's up? You know, where's the? I'm looking for some ramen, or I don't know. I would have been screwed or something, but yeah, you no, you'd be nice. I've met you. You're a nice guy. <laughs> it's, but uh, uh, I want to, I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to me and uh, yeah, about some of the things in the past. And I mean, there's just so much more, uh, Chad. You're such a fascinating guy, and have done so many different things. I. Whenever you talk about the, you know, I, I worked at a video store, which some people think was cool. You worked at the theater and I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have worked at the theater or worked, <laughs> drove the monorail or worked at Funimation. Um, you know, it, it's interesting how all of our lives are so different well, <laughs> and yet so similar. I, um, I, I just I do marketing for an industrial sweeper and scrubber company now. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not like a kruger industrial smoothing or anything like george costanza was working on right? <laughs> the, the the funny thing and 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 the lesson to uh other people out there if you're thinking about a career in radio tv and film <laughs> I, I i would recommend you follow your passion and do your oh, hobby yeah. and if you're an incredibly social person and you're really creative and your parents have enough money to fund you for 30 or so years. <laughs> years. I, I I would say radio TV film is your best friend. Right. Um, any job where there's a hundred people wanting position at any moment, owners of those kind of companies at some point, as nice as they might be, they realize that 
Right. And <laughs> so uh, I've just always found that I'm much happier and much better compensated uh, just at some industrial, you know, you firm. And and I, I can do the podcast things. I can, I can do, you know, whatever on my website on my own time. And uh, I'm completely free to do so. You know, the, the, the worst fear or worst damage that could happen would be my employer would say, damn, Chad, you're a you're kind of you're kind of more odd than I thought you were, you know, from the way you present yourself at work. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, but I would right, just say, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's the democratization of media. And we've both taken a part in it from a long time ago. And and uh, and even though you don't feel that way, you certainly are uh, a pioneer in in doing those things because you were and you still are. And uh well, you know, some people have stepped. I deserve in and a drink. Out. I'm gonna go have a, a root beer in a second. There you that go. Makes, thanks, Bob. That makes me feel good. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll talk to you again soon on one of the exit rams. Some of the things we were talking about on unsugonsug.com, which is Frank Edward Norris' uh, website that he hosts with a lot of different people talk on it. And uh, Exit Ramp is one of the shows, but uh, I'll have some more in the details on the website. Thank you, Chad, so much for doing this today. And uh, we'll see you next time.